Welcome to the Bradenville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We're located at 285 Church Street in Bradenville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. with worship to follow at 11 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now, please enjoy our lesson. Today, I want you to, I want you to use your imagination. I want you to picture yourself with Jesus and his disciples. You're one of the, you're one of the 11 there that's with Jesus. Can you do that? Kind of get, get your mind fixed on, on that upper room. And you've just been with Jesus through the Passover meal. And you've just seen him institute the, what we would know as the Lord's Supper. He's given you this, this memorial of his death. The Bible says after they sang a song that they went out of that upper room headed toward the, the Mount of Olives. And so you've left this upper room that's, that's well lit. And now you're traveling in the dark. And you're, you're traveling now through the, the wall, through the gates of Jerusalem. And you're headed down into the Kidron Valley. Now, the Kidron Valley, the Kidron Valley is a, a deep ravine on the east side of Jerusalem. And it's called Kidron because the Hebrew word Kidron there means turbid or dark. There's a, there's a, a brook that flows at the bottom of this valley. And it often flows, uh, it's, it's, it often flows with a lot of sediment in it because it's, it, it is, uh, that's the word I'm looking for. The flash floods that happen in there it would often cause the flood. But it also is one of the brooks that the blood from the temple flows into. And so it, that word kidron, meaning dark or turbid, it has a reflection of the stream that flows in the bottom. But it's nighttime and it's dark and you're traveling through the dark valley. And that starts to then begin to create pictures in our mind too. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You're traveling through the dark valley, and you're now you're, you're moving up the, uh, the, the opposing hill, the Mount of Olives, and you're headed towards Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane is a garden that you've been with. You've been to Jesus. You've been with Jesus to Gethsemane before because the Bible tells us that Jesus often would go there with his disciples. But in Gethsemane, there's an olive press, and that's what the name Gethsemane means, oil press, because it was in the midst of these olive groves, and they would bring olives in there, and they would put them in this, in this, on this, basically a rock there, and they would stomp out or mash out the oil out of the olives, and they would gather that up. And so you've traveled in the, in the nighttime, you've traveled through the dark valley into the olive press, and I say all that just to kind of set the scene for what we're about to go through. Jesus is about to go through the greatest trial of his life. He's, he's, he's come to the, to the point of his life on earth. He's come to his mission. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks. But as you're traveling along this dark path in the middle of the night through the dark valley headed toward the oil press, Jesus says something to you and I that cuts us to the core. We've been with Jesus for three years now. and We've been with Jesus through good times and bad. But as we're traveling along there, he says these words. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. 
Think about how that would affect you. Jesus says, all of you are going to be made to stumble. What does that mean? That means you're going to get tripped up tonight. Something's going to happen in your life that's going to turn your world upside down. And Jesus says in particular, it's related to me. I'm going to do something or something's going to happen to me that's going to cause you to stumble. How does that affect you? How does that cause you to, to, to think about what we're about to go into? Remember, we've been with Jesus for three years now. Eddie, are you okay? Brian, could you... Are you okay? Okay. You had a distressed look on your face. And I think you're, you're probably well into the story. I appreciate that. But I thought maybe you were having trouble there for a second. Got me a little nervous too there. What's going to happen? What could it? What could it be that would cause you and I to stumble? And what would it be that Jesus could do that could cause us to stumble? And Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, "For it is written, I will strike the shepherd." and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And so he tells us, this was prophesied. What's going to happen to you, what's going to happen to me, has been prophesied. So why, why is this going to happen? Why is it that I'm going to stumble because of something that's going to happen to Jesus? And why would God prophesy that it would happen? To understand that, we need to go back to, uh, to a passage where this was prophesied. So hold your finger or put your marker there on Matthew chapter 26. And let's go back to Zechariah. You don't have to turn very far because Zechariah is the second to the last book in the Old Testament. Zechariah, Malachi. So if you're in Matthew, you just turn back a couple of pages, find Malachi, and go back a couple more pages to Zechariah. And we're going to be in chapter 13. And as you're turning over there, let me give you a little bit of context here to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah was a prophet in the post-Babylon captivity time period. He was a man who God sent to, to the Jews who had come back from Babylon captivity with the mission to rebuild the temple and to rebuild Jerusalem. And you might recall from some of our discussions related to Daniel that they did come back and they did start rebuilding. They laid the foundation of the temple, but they got discouraged. The Samaritans that lived in the area began to, to, to make accusations back to the king. And they've actually, by the time of Zechariah, they stopped building the temple and they've been stopped for about 16 years. And so God's going to send Zechariah. And he's going to encourage the people. He's going to send Zechariah actually with the spirit of encouragement to say, listen, if you will get back to work, God's going to bless you. And not only that, but God's going to use the temple that you're going to build to glorify himself because the Messiah is going to come and the Messiah is going to, is going to, is going to see this temple. He's going, to, he's going to be glorified himself by it. And so it's in the midst of this letter of encouragement to the Jews that we see a passage that sounds a little discouraging at first. You think about the phrase, strike the, strike the shepherd, 
and the sheep will be scattered. But God's going to explain why. And this is important for us to remember. God, God always has a reason for doing what He does. Zechariah chapter 13, beginning in verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Why would God raise His sword... Why would God call His sword to be raised against His own shepherd? Now when you think about the, the, the picture of God's sword, you go back through the Scriptures and you look at the, where, where the, Lord, the image of the sword of the Lord is used, it almost always has reference to righteous judgment, to righteousness, to justice. And when God uses His sword, it's to punish evildoers, but it's also to bring about justice. So why would God strike the shepherd, His own shepherd, to bring about justice? He even refers to him as my companion. The man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Well, let's read on and understand this. He says, Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones, and it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. Now, let's remember here, who's, who's he talking about? Jesus said this passage has reference to him and the disciples. So why would God strike the shepherd? Think about some passages that, that remind us why Jesus died on the cross. How about John 3.16? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why would God strike the shepherd? To save the world. What about 1 John? 1 John chapter 2. Where, God talk, where, where John excuse me, talks about an advocate that we have. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the Christ. He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. What does that word propitiation mean? It means He satisfied the wrath of God against sin for you. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. God sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. That's why God's sword is turned against the shepherd. Because instead of turning... He, he, he turned the sword on the shepherd so He didn't have to turn the sword on the flock. And because Jesus died on the cross, He is now my advocate. What's an advocate? When you go to court, you want somebody to stand beside you, right? You have an advocate that comes and speaks on your behalf, that speaks your defense, and that's what Jesus is. And He can do that because He is our propitiation. He is our satisfaction of God's wrath against sin. When Jesus was on the cross, He in essence was taking all the wrath of God that was due to you and me on His back. He was bearing that consequence. And so that's why God turned His sword on the shepherd. But there's some impact here to the sheep, right? He said, strike the shepherd and the sheep are going to 
Scatter. They're going to be scattered. And what's the result of that? What's the benefit of scattering the sheep? Zechariah says that when this happens, that two-thirds of them are going to be killed. Two-thirds of them are going to die, and one-third is going to be left alive. What does that mean? Let's keep on reading. Zechariah chapter 13, beginning in verse 9. I will bring the one-third through the fire. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? We talked about this in class. What does fire do? Fire burns things that are consumable, and it refines those things that are not consumable. Fire burns off the dross in silver and gold, and it makes silver and gold more suitable to our purpose. It makes it more valuable. And it says, so they're going to bring the one-third through the fire. We'll refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. What's the purpose of striking the shepherd so the sheep will be scattered? To prove out who, those who are faithful, those who are, are God's own chosen people, and to get rid of the dross, get rid of the pretenders. Remember, we've already seen a pretender leave, right? We were at the table when Jesus is partaking of the Lord's Supper, and He says, one of you will betray me. One of you is going to, 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 to turn me over to the Jews. And He said, it's going to be the one with, with whom I dip in the, in, the, in the bowl, right? And He gave it to Judas. And you, we've already seen Judas get up and leave. We may not have understood at the time why Judas was leaving, but we're beginning to understand now that striking the shepherd helps to scatter the sheep so that God can bring the true fold back together. Notice how this works out for the sheep who've been brought through the fire. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people and each one will say, the Lord is my God. God's going to use this striking of the shepherd to purge the flock and to bring in those people who are true sheep that hear the shepherd's voice. The one thing we know about the shepherd being struck is he doesn't stay dead, right? God brings the shepherd back to life. And so we see here there's a purpose in God's there's a purpose in God's prophecy. There's a purpose in His actions. And there's a purpose in Jesus even making this statement. He said, I want you to be aware of this because it's going to happen. All of you, every one of you are going to be made to stumble tonight because of me. Because it was prophesied in Zechariah. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But, we go back to Matthew now. Jesus says in verse 32, But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. There's a reconciliation that Jesus is projecting, right? Now, how, how, do, we, how do we respond to this? We hear, remember, where are we? We're in the dark valley. We're headed toward the oil press. We're, there's, we're in the middle of the night. Jesus says this to us. How do we respond? How do you respond to this? Now, be careful that you don't allow, allow your... 20th century mindset to, to, to override this here because we're in the moment now. We don't know what's going to happen in the morning. We don't even know what's going to happen in the rest of the night. 
And so one of us speaks up. Who is it? Peter. Peter's always the spokesman, right? He's always the one that has the, the, the answer the quickest. And Peter says in verse 33, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. You and I agree with that, right? Because we're followers of Jesus. We can't be made to stumble. But Jesus here points out something to Peter that cuts us a little bit too. He says to Peter, verse 34, Surely I say to you that say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Think about how that must have affected Peter. Think about how that would have affected you and I. We're in the group, remember? We hear one of ours who's who is by by in many ways is a, is a spokesman for us. And he says, even if all these other folks, even if us all are stumble. I'm not going to stumble tonight because I got a plan. And Jesus says, Peter, before the night's over, you're going to deny me. And you're not going to just do it one time. You're not going to do it two times. You're going to deny me three times. And by the time the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to be like all the rest. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. We can't believe this. It's, it's impossible for us to wrap our mind around this because how could that be so? We've been with Jesus for three years. We've been with Him through the good times and the bad. We've seen Him, we've seen him uh, molested by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians. We've seen Him dealing with the sick and the poor. We, we've been on, the, on the, the Sea of Galilee when the storms have hit. We've been with Jesus through all of this. What would cause us to flee away from Him? Notice what verse 35 says. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all of the disciples, including you and me, right? We're all saying the same thing. We're not going to deny you, Jesus. But now we can kind of step back and we can see with 21st century eyes what happened. Because we've read this story before, right? We go on to the garden. And Jesus puts some of us in one spot and He takes Peter and James and John and He goes on a little bit farther and He sets them down. You remember what He told us to do before He left us? He said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. But what tends to happen? Our mind starts to drift and we start thinking about other things. Next thing you know, we're not praying as much as we should. And the next thing you know, what are we starting to do? It's the middle of the night, right? It's dark. And we start getting sleepy. The Bible says that Jesus came back and He found all of us sleeping. Every one of us was asleep. We're no different than the rest, right? The flesh is willing, or the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, Jesus would say. We see Judas coming and he's got a band of men with him. They've got torches and they've got staves and clubs and swords and they're coming. And we've been talking and Peter's got a plan. You know what Peter's plan is? Peter's plan is we're going to fight our way out of this. We got two swords, and we're going to we're going to we're going to fight our way out. And so they come to take Jesus. Judas walks in and he kisses Jesus on the cheek. Jesus says, "Judas, friend, you betray me with a kiss." And all of a sudden, Peter comes out with that sword. And what's he do? He goes to work on Malchus. Cuts his ear off. And the plan's in action now, right? That's what we've talked about. That's what we're going to do. We're going to fight our way out of this. And what's Jesus do? 
Jesus says, put away your sword. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. And now our plan shot. And we see Jesus bound and hit and spat upon and being drug away. And we see the shepherd being stricken and what do we do? The Bible says that we all fled. We all took off and ran. We headed for the hills because the shepherd's been struck and the sheep are being scattered. Some of us followed Peter and we see Peter get through the gate. He was able to get inside the courtyard where Jesus was being tried. And you remember hearing, if we didn't see it happen, we heard about it after the fact, how Jesus was, how Peter was accosted by that young woman. And she said, hey, you're a Galilean. You've been with Jesus, right? No. I don't know the man. We wouldn't have done any different. Somebody else asked Peter. He says, hey, you've been with Jesus. You're one of his disciples. Your, your speech betrays you. He had a Galilean accent. He said, no, 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 no. I don't know the man. And you remember the third time whenever he's questioned about it, he begins to curse and swear. The sailor talk comes out and he begins to talk like a sailor and he tells him, I don't know this man. The Bible says when that happened, Luke records for us that Jesus turned and he looked at him. And Peter heard the rooster crow and he went out and he wept bitterly. You, you, know, you and I did, we did the same thing because we're no better than Peter. We all betrayed Jesus. We all turned and fled. And if that was the end of the story, that'd be a sad story, wouldn't it? A sad end to a sad story. But you know what happened on the third day? On that first day of the week, as the sun's coming up, even before the sunrise, some women went out to the tomb. They come back and they tell us that the tomb's empty. And Peter and John, maybe we followed along behind. And we go to see. And the tomb is empty. And over the next week or so, we have interactions with Jesus. We see Him in an upper room. A room's locked and Jesus comes right in and He talks to us. We see Jesus on the seashore. We talk to Him on the mountain. And after 40 days, we see Jesus ascend back into heaven. And He tells us before He goes, He gives us a commission. Now, think about this. Remember what Zechariah prophesied. He said that He was going to turn the sword, God would turn His sword on the shepherd, that the sheep would be scattered. Two-thirds of them would die, but one-third of them would be brought through the fire. you ever remember reading how many disciples were left after the ascension of Jesus? Turn over real quickly to Acts chapter 2. Let's remind ourselves, what does this one-third look like? Now, you remember, two-thirds and one-thirds are often used in the Bible to speak, to speak in general about comparative volumes, right? So you've got more people that are going to perish than are going to be refined through the fire. But I want you to notice here, the Bible tells us that in the, in the early days of the disciples, before the church has been instituted on the day of Pentecost, there's a number of disciples that are left, but it's not a big number. In Acts chapter 1, verse 12, 
says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet. We've been with Jesus. We saw Him ascend up into heaven. And now we're going back to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. And when they entered the upper room, they went in, uh, excuse me, when they entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. There's 11 right there, right? Now this is not the same Judas. This isn't Judas Iscariot. This is the other Judas. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether the number of names was about 120. You remember when Jesus was on the face, of the, when Jesus was ministering, do you remember the multitudes that came to follow him? All the people that were claiming to be disciples of Jesus strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But when God puts the sheep through the fire, those who are His rise to the top. Here's the question. Are you and I in that 120? We've been in the upper room. We've been through the dark valley. We've been at the olive press, the oil press. We fled... Maybe some of us came back to the cross scene and saw Jesus die there on the cross, but we all know He died. And maybe we heard through the grapevine that Jesus was resurrected, or maybe we were there in that upper room and saw Him. But where were we on the day of Pentecost? That's the question that we want to ask ourselves is, are we in the two-thirds or the one-third? Now, you being here today helps you answer that question, right? You have an interest in the things of God. You have an interest in the family of God. Well, let's ask the question one more pointedly. Are you in the flock of God? Are you in the fold of the shepherd? Jesus gave a commission to His apostles before He went into heaven. He said, I want you to go into all the world. I want you to preach the gospel, the good news of my death, burial, and resurrection. I want you to preach it, preach it to all creatures. And then he said, this is how you get in the fold. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, will be brought through the fire, will be refined. The dross will be burned off. Have you done that? And if you have, are you staying in the fold? Or do we, do we tend to find ourselves wandering in the wilderness some, from time to time? Sometimes that happens, right? We find ourselves wandering in the wilderness. One of the reasons why I stress daily Bible reading is to help us to see with clear vision, are we in the wilderness or are we in the fold? Can we do that? We're going to offer an invitation today to anyone who's not in the fold of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that all would be made to stumble. But we can come back to God. Everybody's been there. If you haven't obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ today, I want you to encourage you to do so. If you have and you've let sin creep into your life and you've been separated from the fold of God, you can come back and He would love to have you back. Remember, all the things we go through in this life are to purge out those imperfections so that we can be useful and beneficial to God. We're going to sing this invitation song as a song of encouragement. And if there's anyone who has a need, if you have... 
If you have a, a need that you need to make known, if you have a care or concern, or if you want to obey the gospel, we're going to help you with that today. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.